you would turn with me to uh, John chapter 17, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, John 17. It's on page 587 in the Pew Bible. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible with us, uh, that'll be the same uh, version that I'll be reading from the ESV. And so, uh, as we often say, as we as we gather and we we uh, get to this, uh, I always say, if you're here visiting with us and you need a Bible, that's why those are there. Uh, please take it if you can use one. Or if you know someone that could use one, uh, please, that's our gift to you. Uh, that's what they're there for. So please take one if that would help you. And so we're going to be picking up in uh, John 17. What we looked at last week, if you were here with us as we started, uh, as we've continued in this series on prayer, last week we started to take the Lord's Prayer and kind of put it up and against or with John 17, what Jesus prays for us, what's often known as the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying for us, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaching us to pray. And so what you see when you put those together is Jesus teaches us to pray, but when we put it with what Jesus prays for us, it really helps flesh out what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And so this morning, as we look at John 17, hear what he tells us in Matthew 6, probably the most famous of all passages. Many of you will have it memorized already. I said that last week. But when we look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's what we looked at last week. But then this week, we're going to look at that second line, Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do that this morning, we're going to turn to John 17 with that being kind of the banner over it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we see in John 17 verses 13 to 21, that's where we're going to spend our time. And I think Jesus really shows us what it looks like, what we're praying for when we talk about that, what we actually mean, how we live it out. And then lastly, why is it so important? Why should we be so excited about what he's telling us to pray there? And so that's the way we're going to look at John 17, those verses there. But before we do, let's pray. And then we're going to jump right into that in John 17. Lord, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see the truth of your word this morning. I pray that you would help us to uh, see clearly what you have in store for us, what Jesus prays for us, his body. I pray that you would help us to see with new eyes, see a fresh what you're calling us to, the great joy that is available as we continue to seek to follow you in all ways and in all things. And we just pray this morning that your spirit would lead and guide and teach us, that you would correct us where we need correcting, you would encourage us where we need encouraging, but most of all that you would just show us so clearly how beautiful you are as we think on these things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we look at this, I just said real clear. We're going to this idea of Jesus praying kingdom come your will be done on heaven uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And so I want us to think about what does that mean, first of all? And then secondly, how do we do that? And then lastly, why should we be excited about it? And so just start with that idea of the kingdom and what that even means. Jesus comes and preaches and teaches and talks and goes and says a lot about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And he continues to come back to that and go over. And you see it a lot in the New Testament. It gets talked about a lot. And when you start to really look, we don't have time today that we're going to go and look at all the places he says that. But I'm just going to summarize for you, I think, pretty succinctly this idea of what we see of the kingdom, especially in the New Testament. This idea of what Jesus is talking about. And the way we're going to define it for our purposes this morning is the rule and reign of God. The rule and reign of God. And so when he's calling that we want to see the kingdom 
uh, coming on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see uh, the rule and reign of God being shown in all things. And so we need to think about that for just a second, what that means and what that looks like. When we talk about the rule and reign of God, we mean that God is reigning over all things. He is sovereignly in control over all, all things. But when Jesus comes, think about big picture. God made us to be in relationship with him. We always want to root and ground everything we're saying in God's overarching story of what he's shown us. And so we were made to be in relationship with God, to live close with him, making him the center, relying on him, trusting him in all things. And yet we decided not to. That's what sin is, is we've decided to not do that. We've decided to make ourselves the center. And when we did, sin entered into the world and it causes all kinds of havoc and problems. We see that all over. The biggest being we are now separated from God because of our sin apart from Christ. Because God is perfect and absolutely holy in all ways. And so we are now separated from him. And so when Jesus comes and he lives the life that we should have lived and didn't. And then he says, I will take your sin and I will restore you to God. He's showing us the reign of God. He's showing us how we now uh, relate to him through Christ that that can be restored. And so when Jesus comes and talks about uh, the rule and or the kingdom of God coming, he's talking about a whole lot of different things. But the biggest of that is our relationship with God through Christ, that we can have a relationship with God through what Jesus has done for us. And so he does that. He completes that work. He dies on our behalf. He's resurrected, which is God's stamp of approval that what Jesus has done has been accepted for us. We see that in the resurrection. And then Jesus ascends. And so right now, Jesus is reigning at the right hand of the father. He's reigning right now. So when we talk about the rule and reign of God, God is reigning. Christ is at his right hand. He is reigning right now. But when we look around at our earth and what's going on and the problems that there in this world, we see that there's areas that it doesn't seem like are fully under the rule and reign of God. God's given us time before he returns that we go make disciples. We go proclaim his rule and reign. We tell how we come into that relationship through Jesus. But he allows us for this time to uh, reject that in some ways. Uh, Augustine said it this way. God is reigning right now, but just as light is absent from those refusing to open their eyes, so it is possible to refuse God's rule. And so we can reject God in our life in different ways. He's given us that freedom to do so, and many do. And so our create our world, as Paul says in Romans eight, is groaning under the weight of sin and what's going on and all those things that we see around us. But the idea is that God is still reigning completely, but the fullness of that will not be revealed until Jesus returns again. And so when we think on that, when we talk about the kingdom, what we'll often say is that right now uh, it's the already and not yet. Christ is already reigning. He is already over all things. God is sovereign over all, but he has not yet shown his rule and reign over all things. He has not made it completely manifest until he returns. So that's big picture. That's real quickly big picture. What we think of or what we talk about when we talk about the kingdom in scripture. But I want us to think about that. What God is praying for, what Jesus is teaching us to pray for is he teaches us to pray. Because he teaches us to pray that the kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We're praying for the fullness of the revealing of God's glory over the face of the earth. And so we're praying, we're asking God for that. That's what he's teaching us to pray when he says that. We're pray, praying for the complete and total revealing of his kingdom. He's reigning already. We're just not seeing it in every area. And so we're praying for that as we pray. And so I want us to think just for a moment what that means and what that, all that includes. Yes, it includes our personal relationship with God. We can be reconciled to God. We can have that relationship with him through what Christ has done for us. As he comes and reigns in our heart, we put our faith in Christ. He restores us to God. And so there's a very big part of that that's a spiritual element, just us personally in our lives coming under the rule and reign of Christ in our life. And that's a picture of what we talk about in discipleship, becoming completely obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. And so we're growing in that the kingdom's being revealed in our own hearts and our own lives. And that's certainly true. But when we think of God's redemption and restoration, he's going to redeem all of creation. He's going to bring his rule and reign in all things and in all ways. And so when we're praying that God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're talking about every area of life that we want to see God's glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what it says in Habakkuk. That's going to happen. And so we want to see it in every way because all of sin has become marred. Or I'm sorry, all of creation has become marred by sin. We see it in everything. And so we want to see the rule and reign of Christ in everything. We want to see it in areas of uh, injustice or in areas of inequality or racism or the horrible things that we see in front of us in our life. We want to see God's reign come over all of that. We want to see him redeem every single part of it because he cares about every part of his good creation. And so when we're praying, we're praying to see God's reign in all things and in all ways. And so that's what we mean when we just talk about the kingdom. Big, big picture. All things, always. We want to see that coming. So then the question becomes, and this is where we're going to really look at John 17 this morning, is how do we begin to be part of that? He's teaching us to pray for it, that your kingdom would come. He's teaching us to be part of that. He gives us in what we see him praying for us in John 17, the way we're going to be part of that. It's not just we're going to sit in a room and pray for it and have no active part in, in seeking to see that coming. But we're going to be part of of showing what his kingdom looks like in the world. And so look what he says in John chapter 17. Let's start at verse 50. Actually, start at verse 20 for just a second. I'm going to go back to something we said last week in case you weren't here. It's important for us this first point as we think about how do we do that. Verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only. Remember, he's praying for the disciples, the 11, the 11 disciples. Judas has left. So they're in the upper room. This is hours before Jesus is going to be crucified. And that's where this prayer takes place. And so when he says in verse 20, I do not pray for these only, he's talking about the 11 that are there, but also those who will believe in me through their word. And we said last week that includes you. That includes all people that have come to faith. It includes the entirety of the church because he's praying not just for the disciples, but all that will come to believe in Jesus down through time. So that includes all of us. And so the first thing I want us to think about when we talk about how do we begin to do that, we all need to realize that what Jesus is praying for us here and look what he's praying for us in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And so I want you to think about as he's praying that for us, that's praying for the church. When we start to talk about how we're going to do this and the things that he's calling us to, I want to make sure that we see very clearly that it includes all believers. The entirety of the church is given this mission that Jesus is talking about in John 17. We're all to be part of this. Sometimes when we start to talk about mission and what that looks like and going forth and proclaiming the kingdom and those things, we can sit back and go, well, that's talking about missionaries. Or that's talking about certain really uh, uber Christians. But what we see here is Jesus says, I'm praying for all those that are going to come to faith. And he's praying that for each one of us. And so this is all for us to be part of. This is not something that we check out and go, ah, that's not really for me. We talked about this last week that he prays for us. And that's what we looked at last week. Hallowed be your name. And then we looked in John 17, how Jesus is praying for us that we would stay in the father's name, that we would stay in his name. And we talked about what that means when we come to faith in Jesus, we're baptized into his church. We take on his name. We're baptized in the name of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. We're now counted with Christ. The Holy Spirit now comes and dwells in us. We are now part of his family. He's our father. We're adopted in all those images that are there. And that's now who we are. And so our identity as Christians is we are now sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll see Jesus say that same thing later in John 20. You are now sent. I'm now sending you in the way the Father has sent me to receive the Holy Spirit. That's our very identity of who we are in Christ. And so when he's praying for us to stay in his name and what that looks like, that includes all of us. It's who we actually are. That's our identity now. We're hidden in Christ, indwelt by the spirit, and we're now moving out to do this work that he's called us to do. We get to be part of it. So I like to say we actually get to uh, engage in what God's doing and bringing his glory over the face of the earth. And he allows us to be part of that. And so the first thing I want us to think about before we even look about really how we do it is to make sure that you're included in this. If you're in Christ then Jesus is praying for you and this is part of what he's calling you to be part of. It's not some Christians are part of the church. It's the church. All believers indwelt by the spirit. This is what it looks like. So what does it look like? What do we actually do as we begin to see his glory go over the face of the earth as we're praying your kingdom come? And my short answer is always it's, it's we're to make disciples who make disciples. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Go make disciples of all nations. He said, well, okay, well, that's that's great. And yes, we want to always define that disciples making disciples is becoming obedient to Jesus in every area of your life. And we're supposed to be doing that and helping others to do that and helping each other to do that and then going out and making disciples. But what does that look like when he's praying for us here? What does he tell us? Look at what he says in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so I want us just to think about that picture of what does that look like? And what we get right there and Jesus says it, we're to be in the world, but we're not of the world. 
Right. That's that's Christian cliche 101. We're in the world, but not of it. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard that a thousand times. We say that often. The sad part is then I hear people articulating what it means. And oftentimes they mean the exact opposite of what Jesus means. They say in the world means, yeah, we have to live in this broken, sinful world, but not of it means we're going to hole up and stay away from all the evil that's out there. We'll stay together in a tight little knit group of believers together and we'll take care of each other and we'll never get out there and we'll keep the evil away because we're not of the world. I'm going to tell you, I think if you have that view, you're actually doing the opposite of what Jesus calls you to do. If I had a pulpit, I would pound it on that, right? I think that's what he's calling. And and the reason I would pound the pulpit on that is because of Jesus's words in verse 18. Because he says, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, talking about the father sending Jesus, so I have sent them into the world. And so that's part of what I want us to think about. What does it mean to be in the world, but not of it? He tells us we're to be in the world, but then he defines it for us. Because he says, just as the father has sent me, I'm sending you into the world. So what does that look like? Did Jesus just go to the the church on Sunday morning and just spend time there? Now, he did go there and he did go to the synagogue and he did teach and he did preach. But that's not the only place he went. In fact, so much so in Matthew and in Luke's gospel and both Jesus self-identifies. He says the son of man came eating and drinking and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, let's be real careful because I'm pulling that verse there. Don't want to take it out of context. Jesus is not a glutton or a drunkard and he never was. But he spent so much time with people who were in the world, who loved the world who didn't see the kingdom of God. They didn't understand the rule and reign of God in the world. And Jesus spent so much time with them, they started to identify him with them. Look at him. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors was a way of saying like the worst of the worst. Most tax collectors were cheats. And so that was like the worst insult you could say. And so basically, you fill in the blank with whatever you want that to be. But basically, Jesus spent a whole lot of time with unsavory people. So much so that they identified him with that. Or if you look at Matthew chapter nine, Jesus calls Matthew to come and follow him. And then the very next thing he goes to Matthew's house. You know that story, Matthew nine, it says, and Jesus reclined at the table in the house and behold, many tax collectors came and many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And it upset the religious leaders. But what we may miss when we read that. This idea of reclining at the table with them, sharing meals, that means an offer of friendship in Jesus's culture. I'm going to go spend time with these people and love them and get to know them and be around them. And so when I see this picture of Jesus saying, be in the world, but not of it, and I'm sending you in the same way the father sent me, it means we're going to be spending time with people that are not yet under the rule and reign that are closing their eyes to God's reign in the world. We're going to be investing in them and getting to know them and spending time. And so that's the in the world part. We're going to be loving people that are in the world. But I want us to think about and I want to make sure that we balance that with the not of the world. By the way, when you think of that picture being sent as Jesus has sent, Jesus praying for us not to be taken out of the world. And we put this in the terms of what we're praying for. 
We've been talking about prayer, how Jesus teaches us to pray, what that looks like. I think there's a real clear application right here. We should be praying as the people of God that God would bring people into our lives that don't yet know Jesus. We should be asking him, show me who you want me to spend time with. Show me who you want me to love and invite into my house and have them sit down and share a meal with me. And if we're not doing that, I don't think we're sent quite in the way that Jesus was sent. We should be asking those questions of who do you want me to spend time with? What does that look like? We have a great opportunity in that. And so we begin to pray. If we're praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're going to be spending time with people that don't yet see the kingdom. That aren't yet recognizing that God is reigning over all things. And so it's an opportunity for us to be praying very specifically on how that's going to happen and how that's going to come. But I want us to balance that. I want us to be real careful when we say in the world. Right. That's what I think the picture is. We're loving people that are fully invested in this world. That are exchanging uh, the truth of God for a lie. That's the picture we see in Romans. But how do we be not of the world? I read a quote this week from Tim Keller and he said it this way. He said, we are to love the world, but in no way be seduced or attracted by it. And so, yes, we invite people in and we love them and we meet them where they are and we enjoy uh, different relationships and invite them and have them into meals, do all those kind of things. Get to know them, listen to them, but then you're going to show a way of living that's completely foreign to them. You're going to show them what it looks like to then honor God and have him be the center of your life and not what the world says is the center. And when we begin to do that, it's going to look upside down to them. There's a really cool passage that I just happened to be reading as I was working on this this week in Acts chapter 17. And it's Paul and Silas, and they're going into Thessalonica. And, and uh, Jason invites them into their house, and the people get mad at him for bringing him. He's helping them out and in their ministry. And it says this right in the middle. It says, uh, they are accusing him of inviting those men who have turned the world upside down into their house. They go, oh, how cool. That that's the way they saw him, right? That's the way they saw Paul and Silas as they came in. Oh, no, here's these guys that are completely upside down. God's kingdom, when he's reigning and ruling in your life, it's going to look upside down to the rest of the world. And so that picture of being in the world and loving people, but not of the world, is it's going to look the exact opposite oftentimes from what other people around you are valuing. And so I want us to think just very practical application of what's going on in our world today. There are all sorts of things where we see people redefining or moving ahead or doing things apart from what God says. They're moving upside down. They've decided to make people the center and what God says doesn't matter. And it's completely upside down. You see that today uh, in the area of marriage. Marriage is now defined by what people feel it should be, not what God says. We've completely turned it upside down in different ways. And so what will, what will happen is if a Christian stands up and says, this is God's truth, this is what the church has believed for the whole history of the world, people will get furious. They'll get angry. 
And they'll say that's that's wrong and that's bigoted and it's hateful and they'll call it hate speech. They'll call it all kinds of different things that you will see people calling it and saying they'll begin to attack. They'll say you're wrong. You need to be brought into uh, compliance with the way we now uh, say this and what it looks like. And you'll see that. And we see that all over. We see it in laws that are being written, changes that are being made the way our world is going. So how do we be uh, in the world, but not of it? Sadly, what I see happening most of the time in conversations I have or what I see people writing in articles or I see them writing online, what I end up seeing is our responses. We're going to get really angry. And we're going to get really hostile right back and we're going to say, no, 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 this is not right. And then people just get furious and it becomes very hateful. And people who disagree with us or Christians have different political views. We attack right back. And what ends up happening is the church looks exactly like the world. When we do that, we are of the world and we're responding in the exact same way that they have responded to the church. To be in the world, but not of it, is going to look the opposite of the way the world does things. And so when people attack you on the truth of God's word, you follow Jesus's lead, which looks completely upside down. When people hate you, you love them back. When people get really angry at you, you continue to show them grace. That's the way Jesus treated us in all things. But yet we are so in the world that oftentimes our response is that way. We respond just back the way the world responds to the church. And it doesn't look any different. And it just devolves and it gets really, really ugly and really horrible real quickly. See, when Jesus came, he didn't try to take power. He said, I came to serve. If they asked him to go one mile, he said, you go with them too. Do you know the context of that? A Roman soldier could grab you and ask you to carry their pack for them. Right. So so a, a government that's in control of you and you have no uh, valid way to fight back, they can say, here, grab my pack and carry it. And Jesus says, if they ask you to do that, instead of you're legally bound to go one mile, go two with them. And you see how he's the exact opposite of the way we normally respond. And so when we think of being in the world, but not of the world, we're going to love when people are ugly. We're going to do the opposite. You know what happens every time they try to get Jesus to assume uh, power, become uh, a political leader? You know what his answer is? What does he say to Pilate? Are you a king? He says, my kingdom's not of this world. Right? It's, the, it's the opposite. And so not of the world means we're going to love and honor Christ and we're going to show grace and we're going to love people even when people are ugly. Or the way Peter says it, when people were facing horrible persecution, continue to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. God's going to win and we know he wins. And so we can trust him in the midst of that and show love and grace and mercy, even when people are ugly. And so in the world, but not of it. And so as we look at that and think on that, it's going to be upside down a lot of times from the way the world reacts And so when we do that, it doesn't mean that we just be loving and we never say anything wrapped up in that. You see what Jesus says here. Look at uh, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. 
Being loving and kind and gracious does not mean you don't speak the truth. It means you do. It means when those things come up, you do it as graciously as you can. But it is not loving. It is not being gracious if you don't say what God says. Then you're letting the fear of man override your fear of the Lord and you're not saying what you should say. And that's not loving. If you don't hold to what God says, then we've missed it. And so we do continue to speak the truth in love and in all ways. And so, yes, when those uh, opportunities arrive, you speak the truth. You be gracious, seasoned with salt, but you continue to speak the truth and you continue to love people through it. But those things go together. You're going to have to be in the world loving people, having those relationships or those conversations don't come. You don't have the opportunity. So that picture that's there, how do we begin to do it? We're in the world, but not of it. We're loving people. We're speaking the truth, but we're doing it in the way Jesus has shown us. In the way Jesus was sent. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We get to do that in the, we, the way we love people. Even when people are ugly, we get to show them grace. So why should we be excited about that? What I just told you is you're going to speak the truth and people are probably going to be really ugly to you. And then you get to be nice in return, even when they're ugly. And now, well, why should you be excited about that? You're going to invest a lot of time with people and they're not going to like what you say. But we should be really excited about getting to do that. Why? Well, he tells you right here in what he says. Look at verse 13. Remarkable thing that Jesus says. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world. He's talking about coming to the father. I'm about to leave. But these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I want you to think about what Jesus is saying as he says that. As he's teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven as it is on earth. As he's praying for us that you would be in the world, but not of it, that you would be investing in people and loving them. And even when it's hard, you would continue to do that. He says, I'm telling you to do all those things that your joy would be fulfilled in you. That you would have my joy and it would be filled in you. And it's going to come looking like this. The reason is Jesus knows that as you come into the father's name through what Christ has done for you, and you're now empowered by the spirit. When you begin to do that, you are aligning yourself with the way you were made. All that you are looking for is never going to come to fullness until you make it all about Jesus in your life. And so when he says, I'm telling you these things, that your joy would be fulfilled, that it would be huge, that it would be full in you. He knows the way you're made. You were made to be about this. You were made to love people and care for them. You were made to give your life away. You were made to be gracious and point to what God's like in everything you do. That's the way God made you to be. And so what we do oftentimes is we say, well, I'll insulate myself. I'll keep myself from those things. I'll build bigger walls. I'll get a nicer house. I'll spend more time on my mo- with my money, my money, my car, my freedom. No one can ask anything of me. It'll keep me safe and I don't have to deal with any of these, any of this. The frustrations won't come. And so we let our lives revolve around our favorite television program. But what happens 
when we do that is we let the very mission that we were made for take a backseat to things that are going to be nothing. And there's going to come a point in your life, if you've bought into that lie, because that's what our culture tells us all the time, that you're going to get to a point and you're going, I'm miserable. This doesn't mean anything. Have all this stuff and I've insulated myself in all these ways. And then you're going to go, ugh, it doesn't go anywhere. Jesus says, I'm telling you this. I'm praying for you. I'm teaching for you to pray this way so that your joy would be full. He knows the way this life is best lived. And so when we don't do that, we're missing it. And so I, I pray for you. I spend time reading and thinking about how to communicate this and how to tell this and how to think about how we're going to do this together because I want your joy. And it's not going to be found in anything other than making much of Jesus. It's not going to happen. And we will try it and we'll try it and we'll keep trying it. I've done that in my life over and over. And every time I go, okay, I'm going to die to myself here and go seek other people or I want to share what Jesus is and what he's done. The joy that is there trumps everything else. What's crazy is Jesus tells that my life bears it out. I'm still a lot of times I go "Ah, too tired. I don't want to do that. But he calls us to something great. Your joy will be full when you give your life away for his glory. Right? So we should be excited about it. Two other things real briefly. Secondly, God's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You get to be part of something that's going to happen. You ever start a project and you think, oh, I'm not going to have time to finish this. And then it gets frustrating or you get messed up or whatever it is. Well, this is going to happen. God's glory is going to cover the earth. You know, when we read that verse 20 and he says, I'm praying uh, for those who will believe in me through their word. And we talked about how that includes us. It also includes the people that are going to come to faith, that are going to come into the kingdom through God using you. It's not it doesn't stop with us. It's going to continue to go because his glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So you get to be part of something that's going to happen. And it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever been. And you get to be part of it for just this time in your life. For what James calls as a breath in eternity, you get to be part of it. And so simply put, John Piper wrote a great book called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter. You get to be part of the one thing that you know is absolutely sure and it's going to happen. And then lastly, we think about why should we be excited about it? Jesus came for you. Right. He came on the mission. He's the one that uh, started the whole thing. As soon as we sinned, he says, I'm going to come and fix it. And he came and he left his throne and he laid down his life for you. And so when you begin to see what Christ has done for you and how he loves you, And even though you are turning from him and running for him and he continues to pursue you and he draws you in and he gives you the spirit, he does all of it. But as we sang this morning, by grace alone, every part of it. And now he says to you, now that I've rescued you and I've brought you in, you get to be part of doing this. There's no greater privilege in the world than to make much of our Savior. We get to do it.
And so when he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to be part of that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the ways that you love us. We thank you that we have recorded for us, that you've made sure and kept for us the way that you were praying for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus lives to intercede for us even now. And we thank you for the truth of your word and what that means. I pray that you would help us to see clearly the ways that you want to use us. That you would help us to be in the world loving people the way you've loved us. But out of the world fully invested in your kingdom and what you've called us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.